right. Well, it's so good to be back from spring break. I have a question for you guys. So how many people in here were really weird as kids? All right. Okay. Most of us, because weird people come to Chi Alpha. No, I'm kidding. But I was a pretty weird kid, personally. All right. I was a really strangely deep child. It was weird. Uh, I can remember this one night in seventh or eighth grade, there was a boy-girl party. And the whole reason we have these parties is to find a new boyfriend or girlfriend. And uh, so as a group of my friends, we came together and we put on a notebook or something, trying to set the mood and uh, <laughs> trying to find our new girlfriend. And we're hanging out. I can remember this in my head. I can picture it right now. Like all my friends are sitting across the room and I'm like, or I say, hey guys, I have a question for you. It's kind of a deep one. I said, hey, what are your biggest dreams? And they all stop and look at me. Like, what are you talking about, bro? We're in eighth grade. Who cares what our dreams are? But anyways, they made fun of me a bit, and then they actually answered the question. We went around the circle. Some of them were probably kissing before that, but then they shared their dreams. Yeah, I know, gross, but that was the kids I hang out with. But anyways, and then fast forward five or six years later, and I'm in uh, the yard by Redeker, you know, like between Norn and Hageman. I'm with like nine or ten freshmen. I'm a freshman at UNI. And, and we all found Chi Alpha together, and we're sitting in this circle, and I asked the same question. I said, hey, what are your biggest dreams? And I pointed at Emily Kenoki, and I said, you go first, because I liked her, and I wanted to hear what her dreams were. And Emily answered the question by saying something along the lines of, get a good job, and love Jesus, and have a family. You know, those kind of answers. She's so sweet, and, and just pretty simple in a good way. Doesn't have a lot of expectations, but she shared her dreams. And then I shared mine, and I said something along the lines of, I want to leave an impact for Jesus. I want to leave a legacy for Jesus. So I can remember back in around 7th or 8th grade, we did this, uh, this project in our computer class. We had to make a video with a song in the background and a slideshow. It was super high-tech back then. And I did over this song called Legacy. I've always been big about leaving a legacy on earth. I didn't know what it would look like back then, but I've been passionate about my life having an impact. I don't want to just you know, go to college, get a job, get married, then die, and just arrive safely at death. And that's what a lot of us want to do. We're just like, hey, I'm going to play life safe. I'm going to do what I need to do to get by, and I'll just arrive safely at death around 75 or 80 years old and call it a day. But I believe that God calls each and every one of us to live intentionally. God calls each and every one of us to leave a legacy on earth, and, and not just any legacy, but he wants us to leave a legacy for him. God wants us to make the most of every opportunity to love him and to love people, just as we talked about tonight. God wants us to, to dream outrageous dreams for his kingdom and, and to believe that he could use us no matter what sphere of life we're in, whether you're in the marketplace or you're in the school system or you're going to be in full-time ministry, no matter where you're at, that God would leverage your life to leave an impact for him on the people around you. And what does that look like? What does it look like to leave an impact on people? Well, it's not just you preaching at them or, or telling them about Jesus, but it's loving people supernaturally. It's loving God supernaturally, putting him above everything else. So tonight, in this, for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about this idea of leaving a legacy. Because God's heart for each of us is that each one of you would leave a legacy on this planet. So my dreams for Chi Alpha are not limited to this campus. My dreams for Chi Alpha are not limited to this school and growing a big ministry. That's way too small of a dream. 
Instead, my dream for Kyle is that each and every one of you would be impacted by the love of God and that you would go out from this place and impact your communities. I believe that God could change the world through a campus ministry. As there's international students who come here, as there's students from different communities all across the nation who come here, and the opportunity to send you back into your communities and to impact your worlds for Jesus. I believe that what God wants to do through Kyle is not limited to what happens on Tuesday nights in this space. It's much bigger than that. So for the last four weeks, and then the last two weeks too, in a different way, we're going to be talking about this idea of being a person who leaves a legacy. And this will apply very well to seniors. Typically, like around this time, we're like, all right, seniors, we love you, and we send them off. But I'm going to focus on you a little bit these last four weeks, because I want you to go out from here and follow Jesus with your whole heart. And as well, those who are freshmen or sophomore, this sermon uh, will relate to you as well. This series will relate to you as well, because I want you to, to leave a humongous impact on this campus. I believe that God is doing something. Could you feel that tonight, that God's doing something in our group? And it's not just hype, because we got back from Trinidad. It's different. Like, I've been on mission trips. Like, what happened tonight, what's going on tonight is different. I've been around hype. I've been on many fall retreats, many winter conferences. What's going on in your hearts is different than hype. I believe God is stirring something up. I believe that there's going to be just revival on this campus. I believe that. I believe that ever since I've come here three years ago. I believe that God wants to send revival. So what is revival? Maybe you don't know what that means. Well, that's just when God wakes up sleepy Christians and they begin to take their faith very seriously. And then also when uh, just masses, or just the masses become or, or come to know Jesus. Large amounts of people come to know Jesus. I believe that's going to begin to happen here or, so over the next few semesters. I'm believing that. So tonight, the sermon is called a Legacy of Influence. And if I didn't say this already, this series is going to be based off the book of Daniel. Okay, so the book of Daniel is kind of an, um, just an obscure book in the Old Testament. It's right after Ezekiel and right before Hosea. So I'm sure many of you read those books during your quiet time today. It's right in the middle of those two books. And, and it's the story of this man named Daniel. Okay, it's not about me, all right? It's about Daniel, the, the best Daniel, the Daniel in the Bible. And, uh, and he wrote this book, and it's about his life as well. And Daniel uh, actually lived six centuries before Jesus was born. And, and this book records the events of his life, and then also the last half of the book records some visions that he has. And for sake of time, we're not going to look at the visions. I'm not going to uh, try to interpret the visions for you. Uh, you can do that in a fun Sunday school class or something. But, but uh, instead, we're going to look at the stories and see uh, the principles that are in there on how we can leave a legacy. Can we bring my mic down just a little bit? It's kind of ringing in my ears. Thanks. So anyways, uh, so this book records the events of his life from the time of about 605 B.C. when he and some other Israelite people are exiled from Israel to about 536 B.C. And what happens, so if you don't know the story of the Old Testament, I can't give the whole thing, but there's a kingdom called Israel. They're God's people. And in uh, 605 B.C. about, uh, Babylon, who's this huge empire, okay, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, they go take down Israel. Specifically, they take down the southern kingdom of Israel called Judah. And then the, or the strategy that kings would have is they would exile people from their land because they thought if they could spread them out, then they couldn't, uh, form a coup and take their land back. So they would spread them out. So what King, Nebuchadne- or King Nebuchadnezzar did is he, he took some of these uh, specific Israelites as well, Daniel being one of them, who were really smart, skilled, attractive, it says, good-looking guys. He took them and he brought them into his palace and he began to indoctrinate them in the things of Babylon and the, Babylon, or the Babylonian uh, just, or literature and language. He tried to indoctrinate 
indoctrinate them, and he also even gave them new names. All right, he gives them new names. He takes their Israelite name and then gives them a Babylonian name. He's trying to change the best and brightest people in Israel and get them to conform to Babylonian culture. And Daniel goes along with some of it. He accepts his new name. He um, accepts the education. But there's some things that Daniel puts his foot down about and says, no, I'm not going to change this about me. And what happens is Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these four men are able to have influence on the Babylonians instead of them influencing them. Does that make sense? So Babylon is trying to influence these men, but instead they influence Babylon. And the reality is, as many of us, most of us, all, actually all of us are living in a post-Christian society. That's what we would call America right now. It's post-Christian. There was a day, maybe 50, 60 years ago, when most people were Christians. That's not the reality anymore. You know that being on the secular campus. People are trying to indoctrinate you in the ways of the world. And some of us succumb to that. We say, okay, I'm just going to accept it because I don't want to have to, you know, like make anyone uncomfortable. So I'm just going to go with it. But Daniel shows us a better way. Daniel shows us a way to have an influence within a secular culture. He shows us how we can impact people for Christ even in the midst of a hostile secular culture. And it's not all through him saying, you know, shaking his fists. It's through being a person who is above reproach, being a person who is really excellent at what he does and being someone who's respectable. So we're going to look at some of these principles. If you turn with me to to Daniel chapter 1, this is where we're going to be at tonight. So the opening verses, like I said, tells us that, that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon defeated King Jehoiakim of Judah, and he exiles these people into various parts, and, and he takes the specific people who are of good appearance, skilled, smart, competent, and he has them stand in his palace. So this is the context that Daniel and his friends are in, and, and we're going to pick it up tonight, and we're going to see how Daniel and his friends interact with Babylon, how they interact with King Nebuchadnezzar, and it's going to give us some principles on how we can leave a legacy of influence. But before I do that, I want to pray. Jesus, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're here tonight. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here. God, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us, that you would help us to understand this obscure Old Testament book and see how it applies to our lives. God, we love you. We thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as I was saying, Daniel and his friends, they're in a tough position, and they have to decide how they will um, adjust to living in an environment that's unsympathetic to their faith and their religious con- or convictions. And like I said, they accept their new names, they accept the education, but then they take issue with something. So let's read this, Daniel 1, verses 8 through 16. There's going to be three principles tonight that we're going to find. So let's read verse 8 through 16. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So he takes the name, takes the education, and he says, I'm not going to defile myself with your food. And Daniel, or God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king Nebuchadnezzar, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So the dude's scared. He's thinking, hey, if you don't eat what everyone else is eating, you're going to be unhealthy, which he was wrong about. We'll see this here. Verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As I said, they have two different names. Uh, 
Test your servant for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the or than all the youths who ate the king's food. So there was a day when being fat was a good thing, all right? Back in the day, people didn't have as much food available to them. They didn't have McDonald's down the street. So being fat was a good thing. Some of you are like, yes, that'd be awesome. We could just be fat together, and everyone would say it's great. All right, verse 16. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. All right, so what's the first thing I see here in Daniel? And we're going to read some other passages. But the first thing I see is if we want to influence our world for Jesus, we must commit ourselves to holiness. The first thing we must do is commit ourselves to holiness. I find it interesting that Daniel and his friends were flexible. They said, we'll be educated in the way of Babylon. Yeah, we'll accept the new names. What does that affect? That doesn't actually matter. That doesn't make us unholy. But when it comes to eating your food, when it comes to our behavior, we're not going to change the way we live for you. And this is a tension that that many of us navigate, specifically you. Oftentimes you sit in classes, if you're a Christian, I'm, I'm not assuming everyone in here is a Christian, but if you sit in a class and you're a Christian, there's times where people try to educate you in ways that are not consistent with God's word. So maybe you're an education major and they give you protocol for how you're supposed to interact in a public school and it doesn't line up with God's word always. And you have a tension to navigate. Do I cooperate? Do I resist? Uh, or what do I do? You know, sometimes you have to submit to things that that don't please God's heart when you're trying to work in the education system. Or maybe you're a religions major, and they're trying to teach you things about the Bible that aren't true, that aren't consistent with uh, God's Word, that aren't consistent with the heart of God for His Scriptures. They teach you things about the Scriptures that are natural, they're not supernatural. They try to get you to view the book like, like it's uh, just as a human book and not God's Word. And you have to navigate. How do I answer these questions on the test? Do I answer them in a way that's my Christian way, or do I answer them in the way that the professor wants me to answer them? There's tensions we navigate. We navigate these tensions every single day. Every single day, if you're a Christian in this country, you have to navigate the tension of, do I cooperate or do I resist? And it's not always resist. Sometimes you cooperate. For Daniel, he cooperated when it came to the new name. He cooperated when it came to the education. But then when it came to changing his behavior and acting in a way that, that was unpleasing to God, he said no. He said no. So that's one principle we have to get, is that if someone in authority is trying to get you to sin, that's where you say no. So you have to figure that out. It's not cookie cutter. Like, I can't give you a list. Like, when they tell you to do this, do that. I'm not going to do that. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and he will lead you. The Word of God will lead you. But, but there's a tension you have to navigate. Am I going to submit and cooperate, or am I going to resist? And for Daniel, he thought that the line was defiling himself with food. We see in verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. And Romans 12, 2 says this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God calls us to be a people who do not conform to the patterns of this world, but instead commit ourselves to the constant renewal of God's word so that our lives please our maker. And what's beautiful about this is when we commit ourselves to holiness, when we say, I'm not going to conform to the patterns of this world, when we do that, God will honor you and God will give you favor. 
among people. One of the biggest complaints about Christianity in our country, and Christians specifically, is Christians don't live any differently than the world. Or they're hypocrites. You've heard those complaints before. People love it when you actually live out your faith. People like that. People say, hey, that person's consistent. You know, I may not agree with what they're doing, but that person's consistent. Most of the time, if they're a rational person, there's some crazy people, but for the most part, if you're rational, you say, hey, your word says that, your scripture says that, and you're living that way. Okay, that's respectable. So when you live holy, when you commit to live in a way that's pleasing to God, you will gain favor with God and with people. And it's going to give you influence. It says this in verse 9, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. The chief of the eunuchs respected this. I think oftentimes we think if we obey God's word and, and we don't go along uh, with our culture and what our friends are doing, then we're going to lose something. But God doesn't intend to take anything away from you. That's not his goal in giving you commandments. Instead, if you obey God's commandments, if you resist the, the temptation to conform to the world, if you live in a way that God calls you to live, it actually says that God will give you abundant life, that you'll be most satisfied when you live according to God's word. You'll have vitality. You'll flourish as a person because God's commandments are for our good. Daniel 1, 13 through 15, it, it explains how uh, when Daniel obeyed God and ate fruits and vegetables, how their appearance was better than the people around them. God gave Daniel abundant life, one, just because that's nutritionally smart, right, to eat fruits and vegetables, <laughs> but also because he obeyed God's word. And that's just true about God's commandments. It's like eating fruits and vegetables. It's a smart thing to do. Sometimes you don't want to do it, right? But it leads to life. It leads to vitality. So some of you, God's been telling you to, to do something, and you haven't done it yet because you think, I'm going to lose something if I do that. Tonight's the night. Obey God, and you'll look really good, right? That's what Daniel says. The appearance will be good, and you're going to be attractive, right? To the ladies, some of the guys in here? No, I'm kidding. I'm just going down a rabbit trail. But uh, so anyways, we're not to follow the courses and the patterns of this world, but instead we're called to follow the way of King Jesus who gives life. Jesus did not come to take away life. He came to give life. He came to give you life. And if you follow him and obey him, you will find abundant life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer understood this principle well. He lived in Nazi Germany during Hitler's reign. And many saw Hitler as this answer to Germany's oppression. So World War I, you know, Germany tried to take some people down. They failed miserably. Their economy was shot, and they were in ruins. And, and the German people, the reason why they accepted Hitler is they saw him as someone who could bring their country out of the ashes. He was very charismatic. He was a strong leader. They viewed him as the answer to their prayers. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer did not submit to Hitler. He was an exception. You know, even the church in Germany was submitting to Hitler. That's crazy, right? But Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor, and he was determined to topple Hitler. He was not raised in a radical environment. Like, he wasn't raised in some crazy, really conservative Christian environment, but instead he was actually a very liberal Christian home, you know, kind of, or kind of nominal Christian, like, hey, you know, we're Christians in name. But God did something in his heart, and he wanted to topple Hitler, and he wanted to call pastors in the church to, to not conform to Hitler. He actually formed this church called the Confessing Church with other theologians and pastors who believed that Hitler was not the way to follow. And he had an underground seminary. He was training pastors underground. He spoke against this idea of cheap grace. Maybe you've heard this phrase, cheap grace, which is this idea that you can preach forgiveness without repentance. This idea that, oh, you can do whatever you want and God will forgive you. Like, 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 like don't repent. You don't have to do anything. Just, you know, God's grace is good 
and, and you don't have to repent. You don't have to reject that lifestyle. You can just live however you want, and God will give you grace. No, Bonhoeffer said that forgiveness requires repentance first. If you want to be forgiven, you have to reject your old lifestyle. You have to repent before God say, I'm turning away from that. This was the kind of man that Bonhoeffer was. And at first, he was a pacifist. He thought, hey, like, like I'm not supposed to do anything about Hitler. I just got to be a pacifist and kind of resist quietly. But then God put something in his heart, and he actually— I don't know if this is holy, all right? So you have to determine this for yourself. But he started to get a plan to assassinate Hitler, okay? So I'm not saying you guys should assassinate anyone, but I'm saying that this guy took very seriously uh, just what he felt like God was telling him to do. And he was a part of helping Jews escape Nazi oppression. The point I'm trying to make is he was determined not to conform to the patterns of his world, to Nazi Germany. And he was eventually discovered. He was put in prison, And while he was in prison, he pastored fellow prisoners. This man was radical. In 1945, he was transferred to an extermination camp, and he was hung with six other resistors. And there was a doctor who saw him hung to death, and this is what the doctor said. He said, "In in the almost 50 years that I've worked as a doctor, I've hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submitted to the will of God. I believe God wants that for us. Not that you're going to have to resist an authoritarian dictator and be hung, but instead where you resist the patterns of your world and you say, just because the world's doing it, that doesn't mean that God wants me to do that. Just because the world's going along with Hitler, doesn't mean that God wants me to do that. So what does this look like practically for us? Okay, I'm talking about big things like resisting Hitler. What does this look like practically? Well, I'll give you some simple things. First Timothy 4, verse 12 says, it says, let no one despise you for your youth, so that's us, right? We're young. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So at this young stage of your life, I want to call you to these things, to, to holy speech, to holy conduct, to love, as we talked about so much tonight, to faith, supernatural faith, and most importantly, or close to most importantly, purity. Purity, sexual purity specifically. I believe God wants to call us to that. The first thing I said was speech. So Ephesians 4, or Ephesians 4, 29 says this, and we need to hear this, all right? Some, or some of us need to hear this. I need to, to remind myself of this all the time. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So be a person of holy speech. The second thing is be a person of radical love. Don't love people with an agenda. Don't love them because you're supposed to, but instead love them because Jesus died for you. Jesus loved you and you were unlovable, and that has warmed your heart in such a way where you can't help but go out and love people. Be a person of radical faith that believes that God will do what he says he will do. And finally, like I said, be a person of sexual purity. As our culture commits itself to sexual depravity, I believe that God wants to raise up a generation of young people who say, I'm going to flee sexual immorality. I'm going to honor God with my body. We talked about this a few weeks ago. If you want to listen online, you can. Spent the whole night talking about it. It was an awkward night. It was good, though. Uh, So I'm not going to get into that anymore. But anyways, in summary, God has called us not to conform to the patterns of our world, but to live holy. All right, the second thing comes from verse 17 through 21. I'm going to read this quick. As for these four youths, God gave gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter 
of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Second thing tonight, if we want to be a people who influence our world for Jesus, we must commit ourselves to excellence. So one thing I love about Daniel is he didn't just commit himself to being holy. He didn't just commit himself to being skilled in in religion, but he also excelled in understanding his secular culture and in doing well in his secular sphere. Verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Daniel and his friends were excellent at what they did. When the king spoke with him, he said that he found no one like Daniel and his friends, and that gave them the opportunity to influence the king. When you're really good at what you do, that gives you an opportunity to influence people. Some of you are like, hey, I'm just living for Jesus. I'm just going to go through my classes, skirt by. I'm not going to do that well in my career because, you know, I'm just living for Jesus. No, a way to live for Jesus is to be really good at what you do, to be an incredible teacher, to be an incredible scientist, to be an incredible doctor, to be an incredible musician. God has called us to be people who are so good at what we do. And when we are good at what we do, people will listen to us and say, that person knows what they're doing. I want to hear what they have to say. That's what happened with Daniel. Daniel was skilled in wisdom and literature, and the king had an ear towards him because he said, all right, Daniel knows what he's talking about. So Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, and knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward because you are serving the Lord Christ. So work for the Lord, not for men. You're not doing these things for men. You're doing these things for God, and as you work hard for God, then God will give you influence with other people. So Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, said this. I love this quote. A Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on shoes. Okay, so some of us think we wear a Christian t-shirt. We're good. Like, he died for me. I live for him. I had that shirt. I wore it all the time in, in middle school. But anyways, so you don't just put these little crosses on shoes, but instead you make good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. So you don't just sing Jesus songs if you're a musician, but you make really, really good music, and people care what you have to say. You don't just teach in Christian schools, but you're a really good teacher in the secular school, and people want to listen to you because you're excellent at what you do. God calls us into this. I love the story of C.S. Lewis. You may know C.S. Lewis from the Chronicles of Narnia. You ever watch the movie or read the books? Good stuff, right? So what you may not know about C.S. Lewis was he was an atheist, a devout atheist. He was so smart, though. He studied uh, just the medieval times, and, and he taught uh, or, uh, medieval literature. This distinguished professor, he was an atheist, committed. Then God went after his heart because he began to see the reliability of the scriptures, and then also Jesus himself chased C.S. Lewis down. So, so C.S. Lewis called himself uh, the most reluctant convert in all of England. So God grabbed this atheist heart, and then he began to do do what he's good at for God. So he began to write for Jesus. He began to write really good fiction. And he would put these, uh, these images in his books about Christ. He wouldn't come out and say it, but Aslan's Jesus, if you didn't figure that out. All right. So, so he creates these characters who are uh, symbolic of, of biblical messages. And he pointed many, many people to Jesus because he was an incredible writer. He was an incredible author. He was really smart. If you read 
apologetics, read C.S. Lewis's books. His, his books are incredible. He's so smart, and he used his smarts, his intelligence, his ability to write to influence people for God. So I'm not telling you all today to go into ministry. I'm not telling you all to just do what I do and be a pastor. I'm telling you, do what you're doing, but do it really well. And then when people ask you why you're doing it so well, point to Jesus, all right? If you do that, then you'll be a person of influence. All right, so the third thing tonight comes from Daniel chapter 2, verse 25 through 30. But I want to explain the beginning of chapter 2. So what happens is, is King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, He's beginning to have these dreams. And back then, people viewed their dreams as like messages from God oftentimes. And so he, he was becoming very troubled with his dreams. And, and he tried to get his dream interpreted by the magicians and the enchanters and the, sorcer- and the sorcerers of Babylon. But nobody could interpret his dream. And he threatened to kill all of them. He said, if you don't interpret my dream, what a great leader, right? If you don't interpret my dream, I will kill you. And Daniel and his friends were going to get killed too. And that's when Daniel stepped up and he said, I'll interpret your dream. And he and his friends, the first thing they did is they went and they prayed because they're like, crap, we actually have to interpret this dream. So they prayed, God, help us so we can interpret this dream and so we don't get killed. We don't want to get killed today, right? And that's when God revealed the mystery of the dream to Daniel. And then Daniel boldly went and spoke with the king. So let's pick it up in verse 25 of chapter 2, just six verses or five verses. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was uh, Belteshazzar. That's his. Thank you. Thank you, Avery. I didn't have to look. Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or magicians or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And your dreams and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, and not because of any wisdom that I have, but in order that the interpretation may be or may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So there's one more thing, and this is where I just want to land the plane tonight. If we want to influence our world for Jesus, we must commit ourselves to being a people of the Holy Spirit. A people of the Holy Spirit. So what set Daniel apart from the other wise men? Was it he was smarter? Was it he was better looking? No, what set him apart was he was able to interpret the dream. He had access to the living God. These other men had access to spirits. There's no doubt. They had access to spirits. They were evil spirits. And those evil spirits were content with letting them not interpret the dream because evil spirits find pleasure in death. And they wanted to let those men die. No, I'm, oh no, we're not going to interpret the dream this time. We're going to let you die. But the Holy Spirit steps in and says, I will interpret this dream and I'll give it to Daniel, the interpretation. And followers of Jesus have the same access to this Holy Spirit. And God wants to use us to influence our world because we have access to the one true living God. Not the spirits that crave death and destruction, but instead the spirits who crave life, who crave hope, who crave that people would find love and salvation. 
And God wants us to be ambassadors sent out by the Spirit who can go and reveal God's mysteries to people and offer people something that, that no other spirit or the world could ever offer them, which is truth and love and access to the living God who died for the world. If we want to influence our world for Jesus, we have to lean into the Holy Spirit. We have to ask him to reveal these mysteries to us. So to be a person of the Spirit, you may ask, how do I be a person of the Holy Spirit? Well, I think there's a few things we can do. And we see it right here in the passage. I'm just going to show you. Verse 16, Daniel says this, or says this, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he may show the interpretation to the king. So the first thing that Daniel did, being a person of the Spirit, was he was bold. Daniel, faced with the option of being bold, asking God to interpret the dream, or letting himself, his friends, and the others die, he chose boldness. He chose to step out in faith and say, my God will come through. To be a person of the Spirit who influences other people, you have to choose boldness. Timidity has no place in your life. You're a person of the Holy Spirit. Choose boldness. Put God's reputation on the line because he'll come through. Be bold. Acts 1.8 says this, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's power that's available to us through the Holy Spirit, where God empowers us to be bold, and then we can be his witnesses. We can proclaim the name of Jesus. We can proclaim that salvation is available in no one else but Jesus Christ. Daniel accessed this power that was available to him. He chose to be bold and put his life on the line. So first, we must be bold. But then in verses 17 and 18, it tells us that, that Daniel and his friends did something else. It says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to his friends and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning, concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So the second thing they did is they prayed. They prayed. If you want to be a person of the Spirit, you've got to start praying. You've got to start praying Guys, we have to start asking God to move. We can't just wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I'm going to go to class. I'm just going to get my homework done. No, ask that the living God would show up in your classes. That God would empower you to bring the message of Jesus Christ to a friend who desperately needs it. We need to pray that God would be present in our lives and through our lives. Prayer needs to start to, to take root in our community. We don't pray enough. There ain't enough people at morning prayer. I'm just going to be honest. There isn't. We need to pray. We need to seek the God of heaven. Because if you don't pray, you're not going to be a person of the Spirit. And people need the Holy Spirit. People need what you have to offer. But if you don't pray, if you don't get spiritual eyes, how can you offer that to them? If you're thinking in a worldly perspective, if you're not communicating with God, how can we offer living water to people who need it? We need to be a people of prayer. We need to ask God, say, God, reveal the mysteries of heaven to us. God, I pray for my friend Jimmy in class who is so depressed. God, give me a word for him. Give me something to encourage him with. God, speak to me. Help me to help my friend. We need to ask God for help. But then after praying and seeking God, we have to then go and offer Jesus to other people. We have to then do it. We have to Offer the most, profound, or the, the most profound mystery in the world that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners like you and me. And we see this, not, Daniel's not talking about Jesus, but uh, we see this principle in verse 27 and 28. Daniel answered the king, 
He said, no wise men, enchanters, uh, or magicians or astrologers can show the, to the king or the mystery that the king has asked. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And then he gives, them, or gives him the interpretation. So God has called us to offer the world something that evil spirits and, and that the world cannot offer, which is access to the love of God and his truth. So we need to be bold. We need to pray. And we, then we need to go and approach people and introduce them to the reality of God. And as we do that, God will empower us. He will empower us to reveal mysteries to people, to share words from heaven to people, to pray for people to be healed, to pray for miracles, and to offer hope and salvation through Jesus. God will reveal mysteries to you if you ask him to. That's available to you if you're a child of God. God will enable you to see with spiritual eyes. And the last thing, verse 30, but as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be, or may be made known to the king and that, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So in summary, to be influencers who operate in the power of the Spirit, we must seek power to be bold. We must pray and we must see with spiritual eyes and then go and actually offer this to the world. We have to offer access to the living God. But there's one thing that Daniel does not mention that I want to mention, and I'm, I'm taking it from a different part of the Bible, but I just think it's important. In 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul talks about spiritual gifts, okay? So spiritual gifts are like really cool things that God lets you do that are supernatural, like healing and miracles, discerning spirits, really cool stuff that's available to everyone who calls himself a Christian. But Paul does something unique or, or something important between this conversation. So he puts right in the middle of this conversation about all these spiritual things that are available to us. He talks about love. He says this, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But love never ends. So the most spiritual thing you can do is not give a prophetic word. The most spiritual thing you can do is not pray for someone to be healed. The most spiritual thing you can do is not pray in tongues. Instead, the most spiritual thing you can do is love. Is love. So God has called us ultimately, if we want to be people of the Holy Spirit, to go out and to love people with a supernatural love, to be a people who go and lay down our lives for our campus and for the world. The worship team would come up. I want to share a story of one more person, and then we'll be done. A person who exemplifies being a person of the Spirit very well is a woman named Christine Kane. So Christine Kane's a more modern character. She's a, a powerful preacher and leader, uh, but her greatest achievement is that she started this organization called A21, which is a, an organization that fights human sex trafficking. Something I love about Christine is this woman is, is prophetic. This woman is powerful. If you're a preacher, you're going to get knocked out. They're just going to knock you out because it's so good, right? She's a powerful preacher. But her most profound achievement, even being this person of the Spirit who operates in power, is that she loves people and that she is giving her life to end human sex trafficking. So I share that to say, to be a person of the Spirit does not mean that you just do crazy stuff all the time. To be a person of the Spirit means that you fight evil, that you love people well, that you go and push back darkness. So in summary tonight, if, if we want to be a people who influence others, we have to be a people who are holy, a people who are excellent at what we do, and finally a people of the Spirit. God is calling us into that. So tonight, I just want to encourage you to ask God for his heart. There's something that God does, a supernatural thing. And if you're brave enough to pray this, I encourage you to do it. 
to ask God, say, God, give me your heart for people. God, give me your heart for me. And then watch God begin to transform your heart. Watch God begin to give you supernatural love and and boldness and, and to give you a desire to pray and to love the unlovable. So with all this said, if you take one thing home tonight, I want you to take this home, this main idea. If we want to influence our world for Jesus, we must live in this world. So you have to be in the world, right? You do things excellently. Like you do really well at your job. You have friends who aren't Christians. It's okay. Have friends who aren't Christians. Jesus did that, right? Like you live in the world. But all the time, you walk around as a representative of a different one. You don't conform to the patterns of this world. You also don't hate the world. But instead, you are in the world, you love the world, you love people, but you're a representative of a different kingdom. You're a representative of a different world. You're a representative of the kingdom or the kingdom of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's what God is calling us into tonight. So I realize that each of us come in here every week at different places in our journey. Some of you tonight have different aspects of influence. Some of you are really influential when it comes to holiness. Like, you're just a holy person. I'm looking at someone right now. I'm not going to say her name, but it's just a really holy person, all right? I was looking at someone, and I won't say who it is, but there's holy people in here. Like, I'm just like, can I be as holy as that student? Because that student's really holy. There's some people in here who, who have, have this, this excellence about them. Tyler's about to play the drums. They'll do it excellently, right? There's people who have this excellence about them. And then there's people who, who have this this uh, spirit about them, the Holy Spirit, and they just operate in the Holy Spirit. Like Katie corrected I, holy moly, what was happening? I don't know, but the Spirit of God was moving, right? So each of you have, have different aspects of influence in these different areas. And I recognize that uh, we're at different places. And at the same time, I recognize that some of you came in here tonight and you are not living for Jesus Christ. You're just not. You may call yourself a Christian, you know, whatever, but, but you don't, or but you're not actually living for Jesus. You haven't really submitted yourself to the kingdom of Jesus. I believe that tonight that God wants to call you not to influence anyone else right now, but to be influenced by Jesus. Before you can influence anyone else, you have to allow the influence of Jesus to, to take over your life. But the problem is, is that there's so many of us that just aren't willing to surrender. We're not willing to submit yet. You know, I gotta do my thing for a while because if Jesus takes control of my life, then I won't get to have fun anymore. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's alive in the pit of hell. There's nothing you're going to accomplish of any value without Jesus. So tonight I ask you to let King Jesus, the one who loves you, the one who knitted you together in your mother's womb, allow King Jesus to have influence over your life. Romans 5 says something so beautiful. I read this this morning in my time with Jesus. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Sometimes they will, but scarcely. So perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while you were still a sinner tonight, while we're still sinners carrying all of our junk, you carried some junk in here tonight, right? God loves you. Even while you're a sinner, Jesus died for you. Even while you're a sinner, Jesus died for you. So Romans 5.1 says that if we have faith in Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, we can have peace with God. We can have peace with God. So right relationship tonight is available to us. The right relationship with God is available to us tonight. All you have to do, all you have to do is surrender and give Jesus the first place of influence in your life. So if you would stand with me, I want to pray for you.
So if we do that tonight, if we can surrender to Jesus and let him have influence, then you're going to receive a divine mandate from heaven. Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared to receive a divine mandate from heaven tonight? Do you want to live for something worthwhile? I do. Do you want to leave a legacy on this planet? Do you, do you want to leave a legacy in Cedar Falls and at you and I? Do you want to receive that divine mandate tonight? Because I'll give it to you. Jesus will give it to you. The divine mandate is this, that you go out from here and that you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and then you go love people. And you go love people. That's what God wants to give you. So allow Jesus to influence you tonight and then commit yourself to being a person who loves God and loves people.